Hello and welcome to Noteworthy Reading, where we talk about books and authors so their ideas don't get left on the shelf. Today we're starting a new series on professional development. And for part one of the series, we're going to cover a book that was recommended to me by my work mentor, Stephen Kincaid. Stephen, if you're listening, thank you so much for guiding me through this book and also providing lots of companion material to go along with this read. I'm going to pass along that same uh, links to that same material to you, the audience, in the show notes. So if you click on the show and you look in the show notes, you should, should see links that uh, link you to articles and videos that uh, enhance uh, the content we're going over today. Um, the book that we're going to talk about is a book called Switch by Chip and Dan Heath. It was written back in 2010, and Chip and Dan have written quite a few books. They wrote a book called Made to Stick in 2007, which is about why some ideas catch on in the market and what it is about them that makes them so sticky. Uh, and then Switch, written in 2010, the book that we're talking about today. Uh, they also wrote a book called Decisive in 2013. That's a book about how to make better decisions in work and in life. And then most recently, they wrote a book in 2017 called The Power of the Moment, which is about why certain seasons of life, certain memories, certain experiences have such a powerful effect on people's uh, entire uh, human experience. I'd very much like to pick up that book. Um, but, you know, if you don't listen to anything else I say, Switch is 264 pages long. It's not a, it's not a, a hard read. It's very entertaining. Uh, they use multiple case studies to get the point across on how to effectively make changes in your life or organizations, and it's well worth the read, well worth your time. We're going to break that down here in hopefully under 20 minutes and just provide some of the examples and some of the moments in the book that really stood out to us that illustrated the principles that Chip and Dan get across. So without further ado, we're going to talk through Switch, and we hope you enjoy it. Switch by Chip and Dan Heath, written in 2010. This is an excellent read, full of case studies and stories about people who went into difficult situations and made big changes. They use a lot of brilliant techniques and are very inventive and, and overcome a lot of obstacles when faced with lots of adversity when trying to make big changes. But the examples they use are just incredible. And Chip and Dan, their real contribution is that they come up with a framework and a metaphor that really helps explain how and why change can be effective. To be effective in any sort of change situation, you're going in, you're going to change a person or a group of people, you have to understand three things. You have to appeal to people's rationality, you have to appeal to people's motion, and you have to direct them very clearly to the change that's going to be made. To illustrate this framework, they have a brilliant metaphor of the rider, who represents the rational side uh, that has to be appealed to in a change situation, an elephant that the rider is riding that represents the emotion, very powerful if the, if the elephant disagrees with the rider and wants to sprint in the opposite direction because it sees an alligator, it'll do that. The rider can say, all, can argue all it wants to, but if the elephant doesn't want to go that way, doesn't matter how hard the rider pulls on the reins, the elephant's gonna, not going to cooperate. And you also have the path, the path, the direction of the change. The path that shows this is clearly what we're going to change to. This is where you're going to go. This is how it's going to feel. This is what's going to be expected. And it's going to be great. And we're going to encourage you all along the way. Communicating and providing a, a clear vision of what that uh, path is going to look like um, is very important. This is the brilliant metaphor that Chip and Dan used to explain how uh, change situations play out. The rider, rational, elephant, feeling, the path, 
the direction of the change. That's what we're going to discuss in the following chapters. In section one of Switch, they dedicate three chapters to instructing us on how we can direct the writer, how we can persuade the rational side of a, of a person or group of people to adopt a change and to actually follow through and, and agree that this change needs to be made. The first tactic they describe is that you have to find the bright spots in a situation before you go in and change it. To illustrate this principle, they tell the story of Jerry Sternin. Jerry Sternin, in 1990, worked for Save the Children International, and he was sent to Vietnam on a mission. His mission was to improve the nutrition in the diet of the children there. Apparently, the children were not being uh, fed a nutritious diet. There was also sanitation issues, and uh, there's big problems. Jerry arrives on the scene, and he's not really given a hero's welcome, or really much of a welcome at all. He's greeted by a government official. They quickly inform him, we don't really have any funds for you to use. Uh, also, you have a six-month timeline, so you know, you're going to have to make a change within that timeline, and then you need to leave. So Jerry doesn't have a lot of resources, doesn't have a lot of support. He's got to make a change fast. How does he do it? What he did was brilliant. He went around the country, and he Instead of trying to get, hand the Vietnamese a food pyramid or you know, overhaul their supply chains for their, for their diets and totally radically change their culture, Jerry went to some of the coastal communities who had healthy children, children with strong bodies and, and strong minds, and looked at what they were putting in their food and noticed that in these village, coastal villages, they were mixing crab meat, shrimp meat, and sweet potato greens, which are kind of considered low class. A lot of people in the mainland didn't eat that. And notice that this was adding the macro and micronutrients the children needed to grow up healthier. He then brought in influential people from the surrounding villages and villages more into the mainland. He let them see, hey, this is what works. Look at how strong and healthy these children are. Look what they're putting in their food. He had them copy the recipe and take it back home and then feed their children the same food. So Jerry accomplished the mission not by creating a massive change and trying to do impossible things. He simply looked at what was working, cloned it, and then carried it over into other areas of the population who also experienced the same success. If you also want, if you want to see this story without buying the book, you can actually look at um, an article in, uh, in Fast Company magazine I believe it's entitled, Don't Solve Problems, Copy What Works. And Jerry's story is told in that article, also written by Chip and Dan. I believe that article was published in January of 2010, and that article became a chapter then in Switch. There's a lot of stories in this chapter. Jerry's was my favorite. Um, but all of them effectively communicate this principle that you have to find the bright spots if you're going to direct the writer. In addition to finding the bright spots, another way that you convince the writer, the rational side in a change situation, is to script the critical moves. Notice it's the critical moves. You don't script everything. You don't hand the writer a novel. You don't hand the elephant a novel and totally scare them away from what they're about to have to do. You just hone in on the key aspects, the, the crucial moments that they're going to face uh, that, that need to happen if that change is going to take place. To illustrate this, we have another example of food. And I promise the whole book is not about how to change people's diets. But this was another example from the chapter that, it's actually from the introduction, it's not from the chapter, that I thought illustrated this principle the best. In 
1998 or sometime before, um, a study was done by a fellow by the name of Steve Booth Butterfield and Bill Rager. Uh, they were commissioned by the USDE, USDA to improve the diets of people in the U.S., uh, particularly in West Virginia. To do this, they didn't want to have some complicated uh, schematic or, or uh, total diet overhaul people had to follow. They wanted to key in on one simple thing. And what they found was um, to get the numbers that the USDA wanted to get, which was based around less fat consumption, um, one simple thing they could do is to convince people to buy skim milk or 1% milk. If they could get people to drink milk with less fat in it, then they could show that people were, uh, a large section of the population were consuming less fat, which is what the USDA thought was healthy back then. To do this, they um, put out lots of public health messages, they made skim milk readily available, and before you know it, uh, a lot of people said, you know, I don't have to overhaul my entire diet. I can be healthy if I just drink skim milk. So they would pick, they would just buy one type of milk instead of whole milk. And they were able to produce the numbers that the USDA wanted to see. Just by scripting that one critical thing and finding something that everybody could participate in, Steve and Bill were able to script that critical move and um, cause people to consume less fat. Number three, you have to point to the destination. Chip and Ann use a uh, story in the book that I thought was really effective uh, by... Uh, about a lady by the name of Crystal Jones. She worked for Teach for America in 2003. And at the beginning of the school year, you know, she's a new teacher. They bring everybody in the district in and they start talking about all the goals that they're going to achieve and all the metrics they want to see. You know, we want to see this percentage increase in our, our reading scores and math scores and everything. And they have all these charts and graphs. And one of the teachers um, said to her, you know, the way that you actually persuade the children is not by presenting, you know, charts and uh, bar graphs to them. Uh, it has to be simpler than that. So she had a brilliant idea. Instead of calling her students students, she called them scholars. And instead of calling it schoolwork, she called it scholar work. And she really sort of cast a vision for what they were going to become. They were going to become a third grader. They were, they were going to become a fourth grader one day. And to get there, they had to do scholar work. Now the kids, um, you know, sometimes they didn't always finish their work. Sometimes they were in other doing other things and she would have to pull them aside and say, hey, we're going to go do some scholar work. You got to finish this. And kids wanted to be, they wanted to participate in the scholar work. That was sort of a novelty. You know, they were, they were, uh, they could see what they wanted to become just by changing uh, the terms that they were, were using to refer to the, themselves. Um, Crystal uh, pointed to that destination and successfully changed the mindset of her students. And by the time the spring rolled around, she had 90% of the, stu the scholars <laughs> reading on a uh, second grade level. And she had, when, as, when the summer came around, she had 100% reading on a third grade level. So in order to uh, persuade that writer, uh, not only do you have to find the bright spots, script the critical moves, you have to point to the destination as well. So that wraps up section one of Switch. Section two of Switch is all about how to motivate the elephant. And remember, the elephant represents the emotional side of people, the, the, the big, powerful feelings that people have anytime changes are being made. The elephant works well in this illustration because you have to understand, here's, here's the catch to the elephant. No matter how much the writer agrees that this is a great rational uh, change to make. It's, it's going to have all these benefits and they, you know all, all the numbers make sense and there's um, uh, all of the um, reasons why you should change are there. <clears throat> 
if the elephant freaks out, gets overwhelmed, if the elephant's not celebrated, if it's not, if it's not encouraged, soothed, <clears throat> and uh, willing to make steps towards that change, it can quickly sprint the opposite way, and there's no amount of steering or, or directing that that rider can do to overpower that elephant. So emotions are very powerful. And that's why the elephant works really well in this, in this uh, model, that, in this illustration that uh, Chip and Dan provide. How do you com convince the emotional side of people that they need to make a big change? Well, Chip and Dan give us three basic principles and have three chapters in the middle of the book on this. Uh, number one, you have to find the feeling. To illustrate this point, uh, they tell a story about a, a lady by the name of Robin Waters, who, uh, prior to 1992, worked for a high-end fashion store called uh, Jordan and Marshall. And she would make trips to France and Italy and rub shoulders with people from Armani and Versace and um, had a real high-fashion job. She swore she would never work for a big corporation, a big department store. She even swore she would never uh, move back to Minnesota. But when Stephen Marshall had a heavy round of layoffs and she got laid off, and then she got a call from the uh, Target CEO at the time, Bob Ulrich, uh, and he offered her a job to come on board as their ready-to-wear fashion designer. Um, she kind of put her, her uppity, uh, high-fashion self aside a little bit and decided to come work for Target. Now, Target... Uh, at the time was a $3 billion company. They were very ambitious and they wanted to, in their clothing department especially, they wanted to um, be more in touch and more on trend. Uh, they didn't want to troll for trends and sort of lag behind uh, trends and, and uh, play it super safe. So uh, they hired Robin. Robin comes on board and she's faced with you know, a boardroom full of uh, business-minded analysts who want to make safe purchase decisions, okay? So she's going to have to convince people who are used to buying things that they already know they sell to now branch into a little bit more risky fashion, a little bit more current fashion that don't have the sales history that your run-of-the-mill khakis and corduroys and uh, denim and uh, black and white uh, and gray um, uh, clothing uh, has. So in order to do this, Robin comes in and she finds the feeling. What she does is she notices there's trends in the fashion industry and, and other places in, in uh, other markets that have to do with bright, bold colors. She noticed that M&M, M&M's, the candy brand, is now uh, manufacturing their M&M's in exciting new colors. She also notices Steve Jobs with Apple, uh, who's now, uh, at the time they're putting out their uh, their personal desktop computers, uh, they're not only offering just sort of bland colors anymore, just black and white and gray. They're Now they're offering lime, grape, tangerine, strawberry, exciting, fun colors. And so what she did in this boardroom is she uh, she shows, she, she has M&Ms and she uh, asks them which M&Ms they would like and they want the bright color ones. She also shows them, hey, here's what Apple's doing with their desktop computers. Now, which co which, which color would you buy? And they want to buy the grape. They want to buy the strawberry. They, they want those bright colors. She found that feeling. Then she sketched prototypes. And in those prototypes, she did have, you know, run in the colors, black, white, gray. And she would throw a bright, bold color in there that would pop out against those standard colors. Uh, she did this actually in the turtleneck department. That was the department that wanted, was willing to take that risk with her at first. 
Uh, and sure enough, the uh, purchasing team, they saw that and they said, I like that blue one. That, that blue turtleneck actually really appeals to me. So she began to convince them with, with their feeling, not so much with their anal analytical side, that making this change and, and uh, branching out into these bold new colors would be a, uh, a smart move to make. Target in the over the next 15 years would go from a $3 billion company to a $63 billion company. Now, last I checked online, and I was like, I want to cross-check that number because that sounds like a pretty big number. I want to say when I Googled it, Target uh, surfaced as a $22 billion company. So I don't know if something happened between 15 years after 1992 and now where they shrunk back down and they lost two-thirds. I don't know. I haven't run the numbers on Target. But in any case, even going from $3 billion to $22 billion is a significant change. Robin Waters was able to find that feeling. She was able to bring in some of the things that she learned from high fashion into more of a, uh, a mass retailer market and have great success. She went from a analyze, think, change model. She took the team from analyze, think, change, only buy what sells, to a see, feel, change model and was able to, uh, to find that feeling. In addition to finding the feeling, another way that you can motivate that elephant, that big emotional side that we all have that resists change sometimes, wants to sprint the opposite direction. Um, the other way is to shrink the change. And this is illustrated in what's known as the punch card phenomenon. When you go to a coffee shop, a, a car wash, an ice cream store, uh, sometimes at checkout, they'll hand you, they'll, they'll, punch, they'll hold up a card, and since you've made a purchase, they'll punch that card and they'll say, hey, if you come back you know, uh, seven more times, let's say that card has eight slots on it. If you come back seven more times, then, uh, Hey, your ninth visit will be for free. We'll give you, we'll, we'll give you a free ice cream cone, your ninth visit. What they found is that the people who already have punches in those cards are more likely to come back than if you just handed them a blank card. So if you handed them a card that had, uh, if the card had eight slots and one of them was punched, They'd be more likely to come back than if you handed them a card, a blank card with nothing punched that had seven slots. It's the same amount of visits to come back. Uh, it's the same amount of visits to repeat to get what's free at the end, but people are more motivated when they see that they've already started that journey. So if people see that they've already started, they're already halfway there, they've already started the journey, they're a lot more motivated to come back. They're a lot more motivated to do whatever you're telling them because they're already part of the way there. That's the phenomenon of shrinking the change. Last but not least, the third and final way Chip and Dan present for us to know how to motivate the elephant, know how to motivate people's emotions during times of change is this. You have to grow your people. If you Google uh, or YouTube the book Switch, you're going to run across a story just nine times out of ten. Most people include this story because it's one of the more prominent stories in the book uh, of a fellow by the name of Paul Butler who in 1977 was a field research and conservation major and uh, right before he graduated, he was offered a job down on the island of, island of St. Lucia in the West Indies. It's south of Puerto Rico. On the island of St. Lucia, they were having a problem with a rare species of parrot that is now known as a St. Lucian parrot. And the parrot was, the, the, their habitat was being destroyed and they were being hunted to extinction and they were projected to go extinct by the year 2000 if nobody made big changes. And um, Paul went down there and he took some of the ideas um, that we had in the U.S. about the bald eagle, because as we know, like the bald eagle is our national bird, but it was at one time almost extinct and was being uh, hunted. And he 
championed this parrot and he appealed to the the national identity of the St. Lucians and he said, you know, are we the type of people who would let this one of a kind parrot, it's our it's our bird in our country, will we let it go extinct? He reached out to churches and local communities. Um, he also uh, worked with the government and increased the penalty on uh, poaching um, and raised awareness around, you know, the habitat this parrot needed to thrive. And um, he grew the local population into the idea that they're not the type of people who would let this parrot go extinct. They had puppet shows, they had stickers, they had all kinds of um, ways to, to uh, raise awareness about uh, this rare and beautiful bird. And it was successful. Uh, he went back in 2008 and there was over 600 parrots in the wild. They hadn't had a case of poaching in 15 years, and um, the bird was thriving in, in the wild and was, and was doing really well. Um, his research is actually cited when people are trying to go and save rare uh, species from going extinct. Um, so very successful. If you're going to grow, if you're going to uh, motivate the elephant, you have to have to grow your people sometimes. Isn't that right, Peggy? She's chewing on my ear. She's, she's a sweetie. I had to go put Miss uh, Peggy downstairs, but if you were listening via audio, um, you might check the, uh, the Spotify channel or the YouTube channel. Um, on that, you can see my parrot, uh, who was along with me for that last clip about the St. Lucian parrot. So if you're going to speak to that elephant and motivate it and overcome, help people overcome their emotions in times of change, uh, you have to find the feeling, uh, shrink the change, and grow your people like Paul Butler did in St. Lucia. The third and final section of Switch is all about shaping the path. You know, you have the writer, the rational uh, side of people that wants to steer and is convinced by numbers analytics. You have the elephant, the emotion in the equation that uh, can easily get discouraged and overwhelmed and freak out and not want to make the change uh, and overpower the rider. And then um, to help the rider and the elephant make that change, the third uh, piece to the model that Chip and Dan use to explain change situations and how to be successful is to shape the path. The first principle that Chip and Dan point out in the shape the path section is this, that to shape the path, a lot of times you have to tweak the environment. There's several small stories that they tell uh, and, and, and longer stories too in this chapter that are just really awesome. But my favorite ones to, that illustrate this principle well uh, are, are these. Um, number one, uh, there's a study that was done on people who go to the movie theater uh, and eat popcorn. Okay. The people who have larger popcorn buckets tend to eat more popcorn. If you give them a smaller popcorn bucket, they'll eat less popcorn. Now, if you're just kind of standing back and watching this, you might just say, well, those, these people need to have more self-control. You know, these people just need to choose to eat less popcorn. Well, what's often perceived as a people problem is uh, sometimes a situation problem. You have to tweak that situation a little bit. You know, the same people on a, on a little bit different and a little bit different situation, uh, more easily navigate that path. Um, this can also be illustrated in, you know, freezing your credit card. If you don't want to use your credit card, if you freeze it in a block of ice, uh, that can be a great way. You know, you have to sit there and, and think the whole time it's thawing whether or not you're going to use it. Uh, a lot of times, you know, judgment and, and inhibitions kick in and people are less likely to uh, use that uh, credit card. This is also illustrated in, uh, you know, safety situations like, you know, uh, Let's say you have a bottle of medicine that could be dangerous for children. You put a childproof bottle cap. You tweak the situation. And children are less li likely to uh, accidentally take medicine than thinking that it's candy or something like that. Um, another uh, 
another way that you can illustrate this, you know, cars that ha that won't go into uh, drive unless your foot is on. You can't shift the the shift stick unless the brake is on. You know, that's tweaking the situation so you that's um, so that it helps prevent accidents. Um, you might even look at uh, a product that was that was invented by an MIT graduate by the name of Gori Nada. Uh, and, and it's a, and a new take on the alarm clock. Instead of an alarm clock that you can just reach over and hit snooze, this alarm clock, clocky, uh, would actually um, race around the room. It would, you put it on your nightstand. My wife actually had <laughs> this alarm clock. You put it on the nightstand and it, races, it zooms off the nightstand. You have to chase it down to turn it off. Um, this was more effective at getting people to wake up when they wanted to wake up because they had to get out of bed, they had to stand up, they had to get the circulation going, and by the time they caught Clocky and turned him off, instead of wanting to hit snooze, uh, now they were up and at him, and that, that little tweak in their environment, uh, that little tweak in their situation, um, produced the change that they actually wanted to make, that rational side wanted to make. So they were able to overcome the emotion of, hey, I'd rather just roll over and go to sleep, or I'd rather use my credit card, or, um, you know, I would rather uh, eat less popcorn, you know. Well, just give them a smaller bucket and change, tweak that environment a little bit, and that can help you shape the path. The second principle we're given in Switch on how to shape the path is you have to build habits. In this chapter, my favorite story, maybe one of my favorite stories in the whole book, uh, was one of a man by the name of Mike Romano, who uh, in the 1960s, he was in high school. He was a good student. He even worked extra jobs to help his mom pay the bills. Uh, he wasn't he wasn't a troublemaker, but one day he lost his temper. He and a, a, school, uh, a schoolmate got into a fight and he threw that a person through the window. Uh, and that uh, classmate's family decided to press charges. Well, <clears throat> Mike, fearing what, what would happen in court, Mike just went ahead and joined the army, and he was placed in the decorated 173rd Airborne Paratrooper Unit, who would serve in Vietnam. Uh, Mike uh, went over to Vietnam with that unit, and um, uh, found out that that, that unit kind of had a dark secret. They were known as the Jumping Junkies. They had a rampant drug problem, uh, particularly opiates. And Mike had never tried drugs. He, he uh, even in that environment, he didn't he didn't try drugs. But when a landmine went off next to him, and landed him in the hospital for 13 months, uh, that is where he did first try opiates, and he became addicted to those opiates. After he healed and went back to his hometown in Milwaukee in 1969, uh, he that drug habit followed him there. Um, but that wasn't uh, the end. Uh, Mike, he he uh, was back in his hometown. Um, he saw the girl he had a crush on in high school. He jumped out of a car and ran over to her. They started dating, and she quickly realized that he had a drug problem and made it very clear that he was going to have to uh, he was going to have to clean that up, uh, and or or their relationship can continue. Uh, he also got a job working construction and sort of began to reintegrate into a civilian uh, life and winged himself off opiates and had has never touched them since um the army actually noticed the drug problem in vietnam they noticed that before entering only one percent of their service members had tried drugs and then after vietnam 60 percent had tried them and 20 percent had become addicted and so they launched some programs to help with that but what they found was is that after people returned home all the numbers snapped back to that 1%. Only only 1% of service members were using and 
and addicted to drugs, which is incredible numbers. And um, the, w what happened was, is that people like Mike went back to their communities where people believed uh, them to be the person that they were before they ever went off to, uh, to the war. And just that social expectation and that uh, connection to people broke those habits. The, the yearning to be connected to people that you love and yearning to live up to that expectation broke those habits. So um, if you're going to shape the path, you have to build habits. One of the best ways to build habits is to put yourself in a place and surround yourself with people and expectations that you want to live up to. Uh, that is going to really help you build habits. If you try to do it all on your own, if you try to muscle your way through it and pull yourself up by the bootstraps, a lot of times that's going to be a failure. Mike Romano's story proves that. And last but not least, if you're going to shape the path, you have to rally the herd. There was a study that was done by Bib Latane and John M. Darley with Columbia University. They reached out to some college students and got some volunteers to participate in a, a research project. And here's what they did. They brought students in, some of them solo, to a room where they filled, were supposed to fill out a survey. And then other students were in a group, and they were in a room, and they were supposed to fill out the same survey. As the students were filling out the survey, smoke began to emit through a vent in the wall. And what they found was, is that the students who were in there by themselves filling out the survey were way more likely to report that. They just would get up and walk out and say, hey, there, maybe there's a fire going on. I don't know. Something's wrong. There's smoke coming out of the wall. Whereas 75% of the students who were in the group didn't say anything. And why is that? It's because we're very sen sensitive to the social cues in the herd that we're in, in the group that we're in. We are susceptible to peer pressure. All of us have been taught that, hopefully. Um, and so 75% of the people in the group didn't say anything. And what that tells us is, the moral, the moral of that story is that if you're going to make some change, you have to be very sensitive to the fact that it is, a, it is going to be a group effort. You're going to have to use techniques to get to convince the team. Because the team's buy-in will either make that thing zoom and make that thing thrive, or it will doom it. So how do you do that? You basically, uh, it, it, and it's um, strategic that they put this chapter at the end of the book. How do you rally the herd? Well, it's a kind of a conglomerate. A, a, uh, uh, it's by using a variety of the, um, tax, the tactics that they talk about earlier in the book. Find the feeling, find the bright spots, crypt, script the critical moves, build habits, tweak the environment. All of those techniques those are what you're going to have to use to sort of publicize this new change, give access to this new change, encourage people to do this new change if you're going to rally the herd and convince the group. That is another way uh, to shape the path, rally the herd. So that wraps up our recap of Switch. Uh, it's a fantastic book. I cannot share all the magnificent stories and ways that they get the point across. There's lots of kind of formulas and ways to think about how to implement changes that I just can't cover in a short podcast. Uh, I would highly recommend that you pick it up. Um, my one critique for the book would be uh, change throughout the book is always kind of presented as the hero. Uh, and there's, um, there's some changes that aren't always good. <laughs> so um, uh, aside from that, I thought it was fantastic. I have learned a lot. Hopefully I can implement this in my workplace and in my daily life if I'm ever trying to um, encourage people or implement some new change. Uh, and uh, I really appreciate all the hard work that Chip and Dan put into their books. They seem to be 
really thorough and really well informed on all the topics they cover. I would highly recommend Switch. You should definitely pick it up. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Noteworthy Reading, and we'll see you next time.